0: You guys want to open back up to 1 Kings 7? That's where we'll start uh, this morning. Ah, missed it again. 12.02 this afternoon. So I know that was kind of an odd scripture reading um, out of 1 Kings 7. These details about the structure, or even just part of the structure of the temple um, in 15 through 21. It's kind of like reading in Exodus the Tabernacle, you know, where God gave the pattern to Moses, and you have to read about Him giving the pattern, and then you have to read about the implementation of the pattern, and it's all the same stuff. Um, so this was details about these two pillars at the front, um, at the front of the at, of the temple, and I liked the uh, the fact that Robin's translation converted it into measurements that we can understand um, in feet. Uh, these things were about 27 feet tall and 18 feet in circumference, although circumference really doesn't help me either. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think of circumference, I think of diameter. Like, okay, how far across is this thing? Well, it's almost six feet across. So the circumference is the distance around it, right? Which doesn't, again, that doesn't mean anything to me. But six feet across, right, if I, you know, fingertip to fingertip is 5'9 on me, 5'10, something like that. So a little bit wider than, than that. And then 27 feet tall, if you think about that, someone on the third floor here should be able to step out of their window onto the top of the um, top of that thing. So that, that gives us some perspective, and there were two of them, right? That's what we read. There were two of them. And kind of the fascinating part, the reason I, I wanted to read it in context and get kind of the scale of it, but there's this interesting thing in verse 21. 1 Kings 7, where where we read, thus he that is Solomon, thus he set up the pillars at the porch of the nave, and he set up the right pillar and named it, I'm going to say Ya'kin, and he set up the left set up the left pillar and named it Boaz. So he gave them names, right? Not just uh, set them up, but he, he gave them names. Um, there's some more information about these in found in Jeremiah chapter 52 actually when they're destroyed uh, if you want to turn over there I'll, I'll just read three verses from there if you want to listen Jeremiah chapter 52 this is after the siege of Jerusalem uh, and Jerusalem has fallen beginning in verse 17 uh, we, were, we read now the bronze pillars which belonged to the house of the Lord and the stands in the bronze sea which were in the house of the Lord the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all their bronze to Babylon dropping down to verse 20 The two pillars, the one sea, the twelve bronze bulls that were under the sea and the stands which King Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these vessels was beyond weight. As for the pillars, the height of each pillar was eighteen cubits, and it was twelve cubits in circumference, and four fingers in thickness and hollow. So again, Robin's translation kind of told you from 1 Kings 7 that they were hollow. This is actually where we learn that, and how thick the metal was was four fingers thick. So you think about that thing that goes around 18 feet in a circle, and you put your four fingers flat. It was that thick. You know, it was hollow, but it was that thick. That's a lot of metal, right? But I don't know how they, I don't have no any idea how they cast these things. But they did, right? They put them together. And the, the details that Robin read, I'm not going to go through the details or even try to picture exactly what it was. But there's these pomegranates. That are on the outside there's like 200 and 200 and 400 and there's these capitals and talks about all these details Um, I think what we see from this instance is because there were only these two made and where they were placed right they were placed on the porch or the portico of the sanctuary they're placed in the front right the purpose of these pillars wasn't structural they didn't have to make these giant bronze pillars to hold up the roof And we know that because there's only two of them and they're both at the front of the building. They're not at the front and the back sort of holding up the roof, right? You had all the structural pillars inside holding up the roof. These things were for adornment. They were for adorning the temple, right? Um, They may have borne some weight. We know there were capitals on top of these things, but we don't know what else was on top of the capitals. Um, You know, I I walk around, I go on walks around my neighborhood and I've noticed people doing this kind of thing to the front of their house like they'll have just a plain house right on a plain front door but then they'll build out this sort of mini roof out in front of their their front door and they'll put these two rather large posts out there to hold up this little roof thing and I mean you know it's for adorning purposes because no one uses front doors Right? they all go in their they all go in their garage door they go in their carport door people don't use front doors really it's it's for the purpose of making the house look more appealing or right kind of telling something about the house hey this house you know is welcoming or you know whatever right um, so we, we get this idea because i see people doing this right putting these posts out there that aren't really structural in purpose they're for adorning or uh, an adornment to the house um, but they're also named, and I, I'm not going to be dogmatic about what these mean, but I, I found some footnotes that these names have meaning. Yaqeen uh, means he shall establish, and Boaz was the one that people were more confused about. They didn't really know what that meant, but um, what I found most of is in it or in him is strength. You know. So in both of these cases, Solomon wanted people to look at the temple, and see these two pillars and say, ah, there's Joaquin and there's Boaz, and, and know their names, right? And say, look at those things, they're massive, right? They're huge. And what do they mean, right? In him is strength, right? Or he shall establish. So again, these things, they sort of make sense. You have these humongous metal pillars that are adorned with all these pomegranates and things that's supposed to present this picture of strength this picture of beauty, this picture of stability, right? He shall establish. Nothing's gonna shake this temple. Not because these pillars are what's holding them up. These pillars are symbolic, right? So while we have this picture in our head, right, of this temple and these two huge pillars that people were supposed to know the names of, right? Solomon named it and gave it meaning. I wanna turn over to Revelation chapter three. There's a promise in Revelation chapter 3 at the end of uh, the letter or the message to the church in Philadelphia. In verse 12, Jesus says in Revelation 3 verse 12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Now I can't tell you that Jesus had Solomon's temple in mind when he was saying these things. right? But I think we have Solomon's temple preserved in scripture for a reason. And we see what the pillars there were used for. And Jesus says... To he who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God you know this is it's similar language and imagery but there are huge differences right? think, think back about David he wanted to build the temple you remember David wanted he said I've got a great idea you know I'm living in this really fantastic house and the ark of God's in this tent well that's not good so I'm going to build this really grand house. And God said, no, you're not. Right? You're a man of bloodshed. Um, first of all, when did I ever say anything about that? Second of all, you're a man of bloodshed, so you're not going to build my temple. But your son will. Right? He'll establish my house. So for them, it was an honor just to build the pillars, right? to build the temple, and sit back and say, we, I've done this for God. But Jesus here is saying, I'm not going to give you the honor of building a pillar in the temple. I'm going to give you the honor of being a pillar in the temple. That's a big difference. Right? Solomon didn't post himself in front of the temple and say, "You know, I'm going to stand here forever as witness to who Jehovah is. He built a pillar and said, that's going to stand there. Jesus is saying, I will make you an actual pillar. There's a big difference between building something and being that thing. Right? Um, related to that, a second difference is that those pillars were built by men, and they were broken apart and taken away. When those men became weak because they stopped following God, God allowed their enemies to come in. And those pillars don't exist anymore. Right? They didn't even exist for very long, really in the history of the world. Here, Jesus is not just building a, an inanimate pillar, he's taking you and fashioning you into a pillar. He's making you a pillar. Who's gonna take that away, right? I mean, some, we, in the back of our minds, we always know you can't undo what God does, but sometimes it helps to just say it. If Jesus makes you a pillar in the temple of God, who's gonna undo that? Who's going to run into the house and say, no, you can't be a pillar here and take you away? He even says it in the text, and you shall not go out from here again. Right? So there's some similar imagery, but of course the differences are always going to be these huge steps up. Right. We're talking about something spiritual versus physical. You know, I would suggest, though, that... He wants to make us pillars for the same reasons or for similar reasons that those pillars were made, right? I mean, it's not an exciting image, right? Are we all going to just stand really straight and evenly spaced and sort of hold up the roof? I mean, no, right? That's kind of silly. That's a crazy image. That's a crazy thought. He's not, he doesn't, God isn't sitting in heaven, man, I can't wait for Richard to get here because this part of the roof is really sagging and I need to stick him right here to hold up the roof. I would suggest to you it's for the same reason that Solomon built those pillars back then, for adorning the temple and for glorifying God. Those pillars... You know, people people talk about our society today and say no one no one just goes and makes art today like they did back in the Renaissance or right. People don't you don't find a patron, you know, who finds an artist and says I'm going to pay all of your living expenses and you're going to spend your life carving this statue, or you're going to spend the next ten years carving it just because I want a statue. Right? People complain about our society today because we don't do that. Right? Well, that's what Solomon did with those. Those pillars, those pillars did not serve a function, a mechanical function. And that's what we're focused on today. If it doesn't serve a mechanical function, get rid of it, I don't wanna talk about it. Or an economic function, that's really our thing today. Well, those did serve a function for people to look at in awe and say, that is something that's supposed to help me think about God, right? not just the visual impact but the names right he will establish I would suggest to you Jesus wants to make you a pillar in his God's temple to adorn his God's temple with you not a structural purpose not a utilitarian kind of thing but to make the temple beautiful and to make the temple awe-inspiring. Not f- for your awe, but for his God's awe, his Father's awe. And he even puts names on it, right? I, I hope this isn't, you know, in bad taste. But it seems like graffiti, right? He says, I'm going to make you this pillar and then I'm going to write on you. Right? That's what he says. And it's not just, you know, one thing. Um, I will write on him the name of my God first, right? So it's not Yaquin or Boaz, right? And it's not going to be your, like, your name. Oh, this is the pillar named Stephen, right? That's, that's not what the focus is here, right? The name that's going to be on you is the name of my God, right? So that when people look at you, they read Jehovah, um, I will write on him the name of my God. I'm reading in, in verse 12 again, Revelation 3. And the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, right? So there's going to be this name scrawled on you as a pillar, right? Jehovah. There's going to be a name scrawled on you, Jerusalem, or the New Jerusalem, right? Why? Right? Well, if you're adorning the temple and those things are written on you, they're to call attention to whom? Jehovah, and what he's done in the new Jerusalem. And then finally, and my new name. right? Jesus' new name. Whatever that is, I'm not going to spend time thinking about what that might be or what it might mean. Rather, I, I want you to think about the idea of what he wants to do with you because he wants you to overcome everything that has been done and accomplished from the beginning of the 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 world until now has been for the purpose of doing this with you so that you would be a temple I'm sorry you would be a pillar in the temple now what does all this accomplish I mean, okay, this is really nice imagery. Um, I think it's kind of cool that Jesus wants to use me to adorn the temple. I think it's cool that Jesus actually wants to use me to give glory to God in his temple. But what does that accomplish? You know, I would suggest to you that this, I see this as Jesus' promise of meaning, and here's what I, what I mean by that. This world is full of people who are trying to mean something. They either want to mean something to their family, and so they try to make themselves important to their family, and they try to see their own necessity and their own value Right, through family. Um, there are people trying to make themselves meaningful in achievements or accomplishments like sports right, or physical achievements. Right? I, I was watching these Olympic trials yesterday that are being held out in Oregon, and they introduced this guy as the, num- the best athlete in the world. Well, I thought, well, how did he get that title? Well, he won the decathlon. If you get the gold medal in the decathlon in the Olympics, you are the best athlete in the world, according to these people, because you've competed in a variety of events at the top level in the world, and you won the gold. You're the best athlete in the world. Right? Well, I'm not saying anything about him, but I'm saying there are people who would define them or try to seek meaning for themselves in achieving that. Right? I'm not trying to suggest to you that achieving your goals right, is a bad thing. But there are people who find their meaning in that. They say, "This is what is meaningful to me." Well, what happens when your family becomes independent of you? Where's your meaning at then? Right? If that's where if that's where you find your meaning, if people call it empty nest syndrome. Right? I'm sitting at home and my children have gone off and they don't need me anymore. Where's my meaning? Um, you actually see it kind of in in the reverse sometimes. Children who have been caring for a very um, sick parent for years sometimes, and that parent passes away. Those those children have a hard time, not just dealing with the fact that their parent has passed away, but now what do they do with their life, right? They defined themselves as the caregiver for so long. That was their meaning, Spouse doing the same thing for a spouse. And what about in the sports, right? You will not be the best athlete in the world for all your life. Guaranteed, right? Unless you you get the gold medal and then God strikes you dead, right? Then you spent the rest of your life as the number one athlete. But give it four years or eight years and you're gonna lose. Somebody else is gonna be the best at So then where's your meaning, right? Were you only meaningful while you had the gold medal? and now you're not. Jesus is promising meaning because all of those things that we try to find meaning in today, and I only gave two examples. There's as many different ways as there are people on this planet to try to be meaningful or to feel meaningful, right? But what Jesus is promising here is the only thing that can last eternally if I don't find meaning in Jesus promising to make me a pillar or maybe that's only part of the meaning and I've got to add something to it well I'm gonna be disappointed hopefully I'll be disappointed before I die right I need to be disappointed in this life so that I can change but if I, if I leave this life and my meaning was not in, Jesus has promised to make me a pillar in his Father's temple. And that's not what's meaningful to me? Well, I mean, what, what does he have to say to me at judgment except I have nothing for you? This isn't what you wanted. I don't even know you. Because you don't define your meaning through me. So let's think about it a different way. Just a couple more ideas and then we'll be done. What if how would you feel? Okay? Think about it this way. How would you feel if all 7 billion people on this earth knew your name? I mean, recognized you on sight. You could you could get on a plane right now and fly to right Dubai and you get off the plane and they say, "Hey, Robin." And you get in the taxi and taxi, hey, Robin, where do you want to go? And then you get to the hotel and you know you step out and the stranger say, hey, that's Robin. I mean, that would feel pretty good. I, I mean, like I started thinking about that, like, man, that would rock, <laughs> right? Just I, hopefully they know me for something good. <laughs> right? I, I, I kind of presuppose that part. But that would be pretty cool. Or what about, you know, again, I'm not, I don't want to draw in politics into this, but I'm just saying, this is another thing I think would be cool, is like, the President makes some speech and he names you as a key influence in his life. I am the person I am, or whatever, because this person helped me through a hard time. The President of the United States says that about you on some nationally broadcast speech. Right, it's on Fox and ABC and NBC and CBS cuz they all air it. That would be pretty cool. Like, I mean, that would rock. Okay. We all can identify with that. But why can't we feel that way when God wants to do that with us? That's what Jesus is describing here. He wants to do that with you in heaven. In the temple of God, not, not the temple made with hands. The eternal temple where he went in and offered his blood to pay for your sins as a rebel. Now he wants to make you a pillar in that place and put these names on you and adorn the temple with you. I know I need to cultivate that sense of like, I want that. And not just that's one of the things I want. That is the thing I want. I want to be in the temple. I want him to make me the pillar that he's got in his mind, right? He's got this picture. This is where I want Richard, and this is what I want Richard to look like. And this is how I want Richard to glorify me here in this temple for eternity. I need to get excited about that. I think if we think about these things more, you know, this kind of thing, and dwell on that, it makes the suffering we talked about in class, like, small or, I won't say insignificant, because I don't suffer like many people have suffered and are suffering now. And I don't want to diminish their suffering. It is suffering. God calls it suffering, and I'm not going to say it's not. But think about how your perspective changes when you are excited about being this pillar in, in the temple. And I'm, again, this is something hard to grasp, but that's been the plan from before the beginning. Like, So when, when, when God breathed life into Adam and Eve, right, it was for the purpose of creating a holy people that would adorn his temple in heaven I mean how cool is that God's like I'm going to breathe life into these two right? and they're going to go and fill the earth right? be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and from that people a remnant will be in my temple because they overcame they overcame the world they overcame the sin right? they overcame the evil one That's a promise. It's not like people are chattering about the new lottery number now. I mean, I, it drives me crazy. It got over 400 million, so now they're talking about, ooh, the numbers are being drawn right now. I get like alerts from the AP on my phone. <laughs> the numbers are being drawn right now for the lottery thing. Come on, right? Get, Get, get past these things, right? Get past these things that are temporal and don't last, and get excited about something God has planned from the beginning to make you. And I would suggest to you that's the only meaning you're going to find because it's what you were designed to be. You can't find meaning doing something you're not designed to do. You're going to get out of kink, you're going to get out of wobble, it's not going to work. So my my question to you is, does this promise affect you? Does that affect you? Does it make you look forward to overcoming, right? Rather than saying, oh man, it's so hard to be a Christian and it's so hard to do what's right and I know this afternoon or I know tomorrow or this week or whatever, I'm going to run into a situation that's going to be hard, right? And that's fine. Right? There's nothing wrong with that being the case, but does it make you look forward to saying, "And I'm going to overcome it because I'm going to be a pillar in the temple in heaven"? Like that's that he's promised that, and he doesn't lie, so I'm going to overcome, and I'm going to be a pillar in the temple in heaven. At 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 different times, I. And I suspect everyone, we sort of get distracted from that eternal perspective. And for me, it's it really is a daily thing. Like, I, I get distracted daily and have to refocus. I don't want it to be that way. Right? I want it to be more like, you know, every day I feel that comfort of like, I'm going to be a pillar in the temple. Right? And I think we can have that. But we've got to spend time focusing on it and thinking about it. If you are specifically struggling to overcome something, don't do that by yourself. Um, That's not how God designed the church, to be a bunch of individuals who sort of operate on their own and just sort of bump together kind of like pool balls and then they're off again, right? Um, he, He talks about the church as an organism with members who sometimes feel pain and the whole body then feels the pain. That's only if we know, right? It's only if we know you're feeling the pain. If you are struggling to overcome in whatever way that looks like in your life, talk to somebody here. There may be people who care for you as much as we do, but no one cares for you more than we do. And only God wants to see you in heaven more than we do. Because it's been His picture from the start to have you there. So I hope this lesson's been encouraging. I hope it's been a promise that you can look at and say, man, He wants to do great things with me, and He's promised He will do great things with me if I overcome. And that helps inspire you and strengthen you. And not just inspires you to overcome, but to seek help. And overcoming right if you're stumbling so Blake's gonna sing a song and that song is designed to give us time to think about this and uh, seek out someone here for help uh, if you need it let's stand while we sing